So we're excited to introduce our speaker tonight. He comes from Southern California, Living Waters Ministries. And uh, yeah, just uh, just been getting to know him, and I'm excited that he's uh, here for all weekend with us. So let's give a big warm welcome to Mark Spence. just take this in for just a second. Wow. It's, it's good to be here. My wife is with me. There she is. Yes. Amen. Uh, which is a real treat. She doesn't usually travel with me. Um, she's very supportive of my travels. Sometimes she offers to take me to the airport three days early. Um, I have five kids. Uh, I have uh, three of them in college, which is crazy, right? Because I'm 50 years old, and it feels like yesterday I was attending Calvary Chapel Bible College in Twin Peaks. It really seemed like it was just yesterday. Um, I remember in high school, and right when I had finished high school, Susie, for Dine. It's Lack. Susie Lack was her name in high school. We went to high school together, and she's always telling me to go to church. She's always pointing me to the Lord. She's always telling me, hey, this is where you need to go, and now here I am, right? So I thank you, Susie, for the work that you've done, that God's done through you, and I'm so grateful. It's so good. Well, let's, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, open those apps or those Bibles or just listen up and I will read our text. And we have all kinds of Bibles that they're giving away for gifts and they're filled with $100 bills, so you may want to grab one. All right, are we good? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says these inspired words. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power 
of God. Let's pray. Father, regardless of the reasons why we're here this evening, here we are. And I'm reminded of those words of A.W. Tozer who said, God, I don't desire you, but I desire to want to have a desire for you. And sometimes, God, that's all we've got. We don't know what this is all about. We don't know the meaning of life, perhaps. And we feel that we are meandering in this maze of mediocrity and we are just wandering through life. Your word tells us that you delight yourself in our ways. You count our steps. You guide us with your eye. You ponder our paths. I pray this evening we would ponder your path. We wish to see Jesus no matter the cost. And Father, I pray that no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much we kick and scream, that you would speak to us as if our lives depended upon it. This is not an ordinary weekend. This is the day the Lord has made. And God, we pause to acknowledge you here, that you are the Lord of this place. So grab a hold of our wandering minds. Get a hold of our attention as we come to attention, as we report for duty. We sanctify this room in the name of Jesus Christ and we ask for you to be glorified here this weekend. We willingly get up on the physician's operating table and we ask for the great physician to perform surgery upon our hearts, that we would have heart surgery, that we would not leave this place the same. We don't ask these things because we've accomplished some great things in our lives, but we ask these things because of what Christ accomplished on that Roman gibbet. We're expecting great things because you are a great God, period. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. For those of you that are not aware, I teach evangelism and apologetics for a living. That's what I do. I teach people how to defend the historic Christian faith. I've been to almost 50 countries. I've been to 49 states, still have to go to Alaska. We have a television program called The Way of the Master, and it goes into every country in the world. Our podcast is continually in the top 100 podcasts all throughout the world. It's called The Living Waters Podcast where we have four idiots sitting around a table discussing theological matters and trending topics. We sign off each show with saying, we have no idea what we're doing. That's how we sign off because it's like that. It seems as we go through life, we don't know what we're doing. But I told the Lord many years ago, Lord, I will go anywhere as long as it's forward. 
And Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. I will step out of the boat. And it doesn't matter how tumultuous the storms are in our lives when our eyes are on the Lord. Christ did not pick many wise people to follow him. I attended 14 schools over the course of my life. I was, here's a little insight some of you are going to laugh at, and I get it, I know it, but I'm going to be transparent. I was a senior in high school when I found out there was no Santa Claus. Some of you are going, wait, what? And you're finding that out for the first time right now, right? No, because I didn't grow up with a lot of input. Didn't have the television, didn't have the friends. It wasn't until I was in high school when I played sports that I began to relate to people. But by that time, everybody stopped talking about old St. Nick. And what I became was just a, a lover of books. And I would read, a bibliophile, it's a lover of books. And I would read and read and read. And I look at the life of the Apostle Paul here, and here's the Apostle Paul who I think was much like me. But I prefaced everything that I said about the television show, the podcast. We have a YouTube channel with more than a million subscribers. I have a hard time being around people. I have read many books on how to be around people, how to communicate. I wear a special t-shirt, and I'm wearing one right now. It has built-in diapers under the armpits. I kid you not. You can Google it. It's called a Thompson T. It gathers my sweat so that you can't see that I'm sweating up here. Because I have a hard time being around people. It is very difficult for me to know that you are staring at me right now. Yet God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And if you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Man God Uses. And the antithesis obviously is, well then, we're going to have to talk about who God doesn't use. Who he refuses to use. Who he shelves. I'll let you in on a little insight on something that happened to me several years ago. I took my daughter, Ella, on a special daddy-daughter date, right? And I wanted to take her to someplace a little bit more special than where I normally take her, so I took her to Wendy's, right? And as we're looking up the dollar value menued items, there were a bunch of college students that came in. The guys were in suits, the women were in business attire, and I mustered up the courage to simply ask them, why are you dressed so nice? And they said, well, we are part of an epidactic debate team. We're all budding lawyers, promising lawyers. We travel around the United States and we will debate people. And then as if he was gazing into my soul, this is what he said. We will debate anybody on any subject at, at any time. So I looked at him and I said, really? Well, good luck with that. And I walked away. And I'm sitting there dumping my french fries into my frosty and somebody had blasphemed really loud, used 
God's name in vain. So my daughter Ella looked at me and said, Daddy, Daddy, you got to go share the gospel with them. I said, Peanut, you best just shut your mouth. <laughs> and then somebody had blasphemed again really loud. She said, Daddy, you at least have to go give them gospel tracts. I said, I don't have enough for all of them. There's like 30 of them. She's all, I have plenty in the car. I said, of course you do, my little homeschooled princess. Let's go take a look at that. And we got inside the car, and I looked at her, and I said, baby, you know how nervous daddy gets to be in front of people. Uh, I think we need to spend a moment and pray. And she said, daddy, there's a time to pray, and there's a time to move. Right? So I spanked her as hard as I could. <laughs> we grabbed the gospel tracts, and they were these ones right here. These are million-dollar bills. On the other side, there's a Christian message. So I went up to the groups of students, and I said, hey, listen, my little girl, Elle, baby, where'd you go? And there she was underneath a table with her knees knocking together. And she said something to me that I've said to her her whole life. Daddy, daddy. You can do it with God's help. So I grabbed the tracks and I said, hey, listen, my little girl Ella wants to make sure you each get one of these. It's a million-dollar bill. Use it as a bookmark if you want. But on the other side, there's a Christian message. It tells you how you can avoid hell, come into a relationship with your maker, and go to heaven. You don't have to take it, but I have enough for everybody if you'd like to have it. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments or something comes out of here, but you know it did not originate up here. And that was me at that moment. I said, who's the head of your debate team? Would you like to have a debate? <laughs> no! And they said, well, Dakota's the head of our debate team. And there she was. She levitated over everybody. <laughs> came down in the midst. And there she was. And she said, did I hear you correctly? You want to have a debate? What do you want to debate? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm unashamed to be called a Christian. I believe that Christianity is intelligent. She's all great. What about Christianity? I said, well, we could debate whether or not Jesus actually physically rose from the dead, whether the Bible is true, whether Christianity is the only religion, true religion. She's all, pick one. I'm ready. She was an atheist, a card-carrying atheist, a proud atheist, ready to debate any nuanced area of my worldview. Are you ready for that? Well, this atheist was, and she said this, how, all right, you go first, and then I will go, so I see what direction you're heading, and then you give a rebuttal, and I'll give a rebuttal, you give your finishing statement, and then I'll give my finishing statement, and then we'll ask the jury who won the debate. She was ready. So I went first, and then she went. Then I gave my rebuttal. She gave her rebuttal. And then I gave my closing statement. And you know what she said for her closing statement? Nothing. Goose egg, baby. She had nothing to say. She was shut up. She was mesmerized by my good looks. No. <laughs> but our mouth was shut. And I'm reminded of the late, great presuppositional apologist, Greg Bonson who said, it is not our job as Christians to open people's hearts. It's our job to close their mouths in love and speak the truth of God with love, dignity, and respect. 
share the gospel, leave the results to God. So they all begin to leave one after the next, except for the very last guy, because none of them asked to follow me on Twitter. Nobody asked what my Instagram handle was. Nobody cared, except for one guy. He goes, are you kidding me right now? That was awesome. Man, I watch you every week on television, and then to see you do this in person, man, what a treat that was. And I said, yo, bro, you're a Christian? He says, yeah. I said, that would have been great to know like 40 minutes ago, yo. He said, I had your back. I said, yeah, like way, way back. But then he said this, hey, Mark, God was glorified here this evening. You were faithful with the message. And I think we as Christians, we confuse two words, faithfulness and fruitfulness. God is not calling you to be fruitful. He's calling you to be faithful. But the crazy thing out of all of that, even when you're faithless, he's faithful. To be faithful to his own name, and he's going to bring fruit as he sees fit. You see, God's not pacing back and forth wondering and worried what he's going to do in your life. Remember, one with God will always be in the majority. And it doesn't matter who's against you if God is for you. Yet if God is against you, it doesn't matter who's for you. Life is quick. And I'm going to tell you, every time our heart beats, it is the drumbeat of our own funeral march. We all have an appointment with death. We're all going 100 miles per hour towards this thing called death. I'm 14,900 days old. That's how old I am. And the Bible says to number our days in our youth, that we may apply them to wisdom. We ask, hey, how old are you? I'm 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. But listen, we're not promised tomorrow. And when death comes knocking, you're going to answer that door. And I've just chosen to realize and to recognize this life is not about me. And if it's not about me, and it's not about you, who is it about? It's about Christ. Life is fast. Yesterday, it seemed like just yesterday, Susie's asking me and pleading with me to go to church. Today, I'm up here talking to you. Tomorrow, I'm dead. I want to live outside the boat. I don't want to live a comfortable, Christian, cute life. I don't want to meander in the maze of mediocrity. I don't want to ponder in the pool of popularity. I want my life to be spent for the glory of God. And I want to surround myself with people who feel the same. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, he said, all of God's giants, people that we look up to, have been weak men who did great things for God because they simply believed that God would be with them. In Mark 1.17, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become a fisher of men. Did you catch that? Jesus is not recruiting the brightest, smartest, greatest athletes or intellectuals of our days. He says, you follow me, 
and I will make you what you're not. The best ability is what? You've heard it. Availability. The best ability is availability, and this is because God will not share his glory with anyone. There'll be no proverbial pats on the back and say, look, God, look what we did. No, God doesn't do that. You know what God had to do to orchestrate to get you here today? A million different things to get you to sit where you're at. He knows you're rising up. He knows you're sitting down. If God were to tell you what he did to get you here to listen to this message, it would blow your mind. I'll give you an example. Uh, not too long ago, my wife and I, we were ministering in Kauai. Right, somebody's got to do it. And uh, I spoke at Calvary Chapel, Kauai. But while I was there, we had rented a guide in a kayak who was leading us to these waterfalls. And he led us over to this, this beautiful rock structure, and he gave me this turkey sandwich. And we're eating this turkey sandwich, and we're enjoying our, our time together. And my wife says, hey, babe, you got to share the gospel with him. I'm like, ah. Oh. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm just afraid of people. But I shared the gospel with him. And when I was all done, I asked him the question. I said, hey, have you ever heard this message before? And you know what he said? Up until last week, uh, I would have said, no, I've never heard this before. But last week, there was some Christian singer named Jeremy Camp who shared this same message with me. I said, you're kidding me. Because next week, I'm hanging out with Jeremy Camp in Ohio. Here's the picture. I live in Southern California. I'm ministering in Kauai. The following week, I'm going to be in Ohio preaching the gospel at a Jeremy Camp concert. And a bunch of other guys, 10th Avenue North and Christian Stanfield. And guys, it's a big music concert. But Jeremy Camp lives in Tennessee. We're like in four different states that have converged together. Divine convergence is what we like to call it. And I went up to Jeremy. I said, hey, bro. Um, Hey, check it out. Two weeks ago, you were in Kauai. You had a guide. He led you over to these rocks, and you ate a ham. No, you ate a turkey sandwich. And he goes, whoa, dude, what are you doing? I go, no, hey, just relax. Listen, last week I was in Kauai. I had the same guide that you had two weeks ago, and I was able to water what you planted. Maybe someday somebody's going to come after us and we'll be able to, to see the increase. And we rejoiced together at the work that God did because we don't know what God's doing. We just know that God's doing, right? He's always up to something. And it doesn't matter if you feel brave when you do it. I'm saying step out of the boat. And really, whatever that means for you. I like this definition of courage, if you have difficulty in sharing the gospel as I do, or even being in front of people, listen to this. An act of courage is not necessarily done by those who feel brave when they do it. True courage is he who feels the fear, and yet he does it anyways. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's the conquering of it. Right? A firefighter does not need to feel brave when he's running into a burning building. He does it anyways. 
I don't feel brave when I go to the college campuses and I open air preach. I don't feel brave to go door to door or to hand out a gospel track. I don't feel brave in telling somebody how they can find everlasting life, even though I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. I don't feel brave when I do it, but I do it. It's not the absence of fear. It's the conquering of it. And here, look at this in the, the apostle Paul. He said in Ephesians 6, you don't need to turn there because of time, but he says, and also for me, he's asking for prayer, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, of all the people in the New Testament that you were thinking, okay, I got to pick somebody who's bold. That's my assignment. Who's bold in the New Testament? Would you think Paul? I mean, this guy wrote one third of the New Testament. That's a lot of books. Some of you are having difficulty writing a single paper for your school, right? This guy's written books that are inspired and inerrant and infallible that we use today that'll be here forever. He's asking the church at Ephesus, hey, I got a prayer request. Paul, yeah, what do you got? Will you pray that I'll be bold? Really? Yeah. In fact, um, when I was talking to the church at Corinth, remember our text we read? We go back to it. He says, hey, um, Corinth, when I was with you, I did not have excellency of speech. I had weakness. I had fear. And I had much trembling. I'm, I'm like that. Right? I mean, I'd much rather gargle turtle vomit than speak in front of people. Or lick the inner lining of a Tibetan yak's ulcerated small intestine than to go in front of people. But maybe you're not like that. Maybe it's not a problem for you to be in front of people. So my question for you, if you're not like me, is when was the last time you shared the gospel? If you don't have a problem being in front of people, when was the last time you told someone? George Whitfield said, God forbid I ever travel with somebody a quarter of a mile and I don't share the gospel with them. He was compelled. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar about the bread of life. Taste and see that God is good. Life is quick. If you're not telling them about Jesus, what are you telling them about? Well, here's the Apostle Paul. He says, hey, look, I, I, I don't have eloquent speech. I have weakness, fear, and much trembling. And I think we hide behind our excuses, don't you? I mean, I got lots of good excuses. I got a call from the Green Bay Packers to come share the gospel with the team, and I chickened out, and I said, no. Lots of excuses. I'm not your guy. I can't do it. I've been kicking myself for that. And then I got a call from the Denver Broncos. Hey, come share the gospel with the team before they play the San Diego Chargers. I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. So I asked my son, Ethan, if he wanted to come. I have a friend whose favorite team is the Denver Broncos. We went down to San Diego, and I said, hey, they want me to share the gospel with the team. I'm going to do it. And then when I was all done, they gave me a, a ticket, a couple tickets, a few tickets to go to the game the next day. But they also gave me a sticker. Right? A sticker went on my chest. I didn't know really what that sticker was. 
I wish I knew at the time what it was because they gave me tickets and I was up in the nosebleed, right? The Bob Euchre seats way in the corner. When I was all done, the game was over, I walked down, and because of that sticker, that gave me access to go down onto the field. Able to go inside the locker room, go and hang out with the, with the players. It's like I had the, the black, what is it called, the American Express black card? Where you just, hey, at your beck and call? Well, I was like that. I was able to go everywhere, but I didn't know it. And I was content with my tickets up in the corner. Listen, if you're a Christian, you got a sticker on your chest. You have free access to go anywhere, to share the gospel with whoever. Well, the Bible words are like this. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But you know what we do? We live like poor people, beggars, paupers, bums, homeless. We say, woe is me. Woe is me. You need to get over yourself, quite frankly, right? Because it's not about you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When I was at Bible college, uh, my professor, Larry Taylor, he had said, you cannot impress people with Jesus when you're still trying to impress them with yourself. You need to get over yourself. God already has. There is no such thing as a cool Christian. You're just not cool. You're like me. Listen, you're not cool. Like I'm 50 years old and I got braces. I'm not cool. But, but, I, but I've, I've chosen to live outside the boat. I've chosen to say, God... I want to be a token in your hand ready to be spent. I want to be a tool in the master carpenter's hand. That's what I want. The apostle Paul, he looked at himself in the mirror and he said, it's not about you, dude. It's about you, Lord. Let me give you a different example of a different picture of a different person. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. We have the life of Moses. And here's Moses in Exodus chapter 3. God states his purpose to Moses, and he goes, hey, look, I'm I'm going to reach out to the the children of Israel here, and I'm going to deliver them out of Pharaoh's hand. And and Moses, hey, Mo, Mo, listen, Mo, I want you to go before Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. You know the story, right? And in chapter 3, verse 8, it says, I have come down to deliver them, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Why did God do that? Because of Exodus 2.24. He heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what is Moses supposed to know at this point? Moses, this isn't about you and it's not even about the children of Israel. This is about me. So Moses begins to have excuse after excuse why he's not the guy for the job. Verse 11 of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Have you done that? God, God, I... Do you know anybody that has ever prayed for amnesia? I have. 
It could be so much easier in life, God, if you give me amnesia because I've wrecked a lot of people's lives. I was in the shower at Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College, fully clothed, down in a fetal position, sucking my thumb, despairing of life. They sent for a professor to come get me. He says, hey, Mark, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? I'm just beside myself. I don't want to live. I don't want to go further. I can't. I don't have enough energy to take another step. God is sovereign, which means that God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants. He answers to no one. He doesn't care what you think about it. Just doesn't care. God rules supreme. God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's in every place. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need your help. He possesses a trait called a satiety, which means he is self-sufficient. If God needed anything, you wouldn't know about it. He rebukes the children of Israel, and he says, hey, you thought I was altogether like you. And he rebukes them for that. No, God's ways are above our ways. But here's Moses, and he goes, hey, God, God, who am I that you would pick me to go? Then he got over himself pretty quickly, and he realized, well, if it's not about me, who is it about? He realizes... It's about God. Look at Exodus 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Come again? I mean, what? I mean, give me something to work with. Tell me you're omniscient. I am. Tell me you're omnipresent. I am. Listen, I am everything you will ever need. I am. I'm not becoming something that I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not fickle. I'm not manipulated. I am. Now go. Go. I am Sending you. What does Moses do? Does Moses say, hey, okay, that's cool. <laughs> Let's go. Nope. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and he said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. You, you know what Moses is doing here in a non-direct way? He's calling God a liar. God said, go. God says, I'm going to deliver them. And Moses says, what if they don't listen to me? Man, that, what's your name? JJ? I don't believe that. Where do you live? Uh, definitely don't believe that. See, is something as simple as that, if I really didn't believe that, he'd be offended. He could have the attitude of, I don't care. But if he's really trying to get through to me, he'd be offended. If he's trying to give me a message, he'd be offended. 
How much more God who cannot lie. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. No liar will inherit the kingdom of God, Revelation 21.8. It is our truth in the inward parts. Six things God hates and detests. Three of those things deal with lying. They're not going to listen to me, God. That's none of your business. Go. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go. So what does Moses do? Does he go? Chapter 4, verse 10. Moses says, oh, my Lord. Listen, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. What's he saying? Did you catch it? He's saying, I believe that you're a God of miracles. I know that I'm not an eloquent person. At least I don't think I'm an eloquent person. And I think you can make somebody who's not eloquent, and you can make him eloquent. But I had a little litmus test here. I threw it out there, and here it is. I'm not eloquent neither before we started to talk or even now after we talked. I believe you're a God of miracles, and you can put in me what I can't put there myself. God says, nope, not going to do it, wouldn't be prudent. Go with a promise and with a person. The promise is I'm going to deliver them, and the person is God himself. I am with you. I'll be with you to go. Well, verse four, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of someone else, whoever else, I don't care. Send somebody else. So what does God do? It says in chapter 4, verse 14, okay, his anger's kindled, and he goes, hey, where's your brother, Aaron? I, what? Aaron. He's an eloquent man, right? And here comes Aaron, just kind of skipping on by. He says, hey, Aaron, you want to go before Pharaoh? Would I? So who does God send? Listen, God is going to accomplish his will. Warren Wiersbe said, you're a Christian, if you're a Christian. You're a Christian because somebody cared enough to share with you. Now it's your turn. What are you going to do about it? So he uses Aaron, and I, I don't know what your excuses are. Let me go through a couple of them. Maybe it falls into this, but these are people that God used. Because God specializes in bringing beauty for ashes. Wow. Let that sink in for a moment. He specializes in bringing beauty for ashes. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Abraham, he thought he was too old. Timothy was too young. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was, well, she wasn't very pretty. Joseph was abused. Moses couldn't speak well. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a long hair womanizer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Isaiah taught naked. Okay. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt and he lost everything. John the Baptist, well, that guy ate bugs. 
Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep when they should have been praying. Martha was worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced several times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. Like, what? okay, really, seriously, what's your excuse, right? Henry Valerie once said, the world is yet to see what God will do to and through, with and by the person who is consecrated to God. D.L. Moody was in a hotel. He was a shoe salesman at the time, and he heard those words, and he said, by the grace of God, I'm going to be that man. This world is yet to see, not because of my efforts, but because of God's grace. God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. It's not about you. It's not. It has nothing to do with you. You're the mouse in the story of the elephant and the mouse crossing the big rickety bridge with every step, the bridge rocked till they finally get to the other side of the bridge and the mouse looks at the elephant and says, we really rocked that bridge, didn't we? Listen, you're the mouse. God's the elephant. And he's the elephant in the room, really, quite frankly. You need to address him. He's here. He inhabits the praises of his people. I prayed for amnesia, and the reason why I prayed for amnesia is because of the lives that I've wrecked. And God, listen, he doesn't want to erase my memory. He erased my record. He who's forgiven much loves much. You may be thinking, man, you don't know the things that I've done, the vile things I've tasted, the places I've been. You're right, I don't. But it's not about you. The person that God uses is the person who says it's not about the person in the mirror. It's about him. What can God do to and through and with and by the person who's consecrated to their God? This world is yet to see. Listen, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth in order that he might strongly support the person whose heart is simply leaning in his direction. And this is why Tozer got it right when he said, God, I don't desire you at this moment, but I have a desire to want to desire you, and that's all I got. Will you meet me halfway? And he will draw near to those who draw near to him. David Brainerd, uh, a man that I greatly look up to, if you ever get a chance to read his journal, do so. He died at the age of 29 of tuberculosis many years ago, but he said, Lord, help me not to loiter on my way to heaven. Think about that. Help me not to loiter. I cannot waste time because there's no time to waste. When the will of God crosses the will of man, somebody has to die. It's okay to be dead before the Lord to be alive to Christ. And finally, let me leave you with this. William Booth, he said, in reference to sharing the gospel with other people, he said, you're not called, is that what you're saying? Not heard the call I think you should say. 
Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him. Hear him bid you to go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. You one crack at this thing called life. And what you do today is going to echo forever. Forever and ever and ever. And if you can get one thing out of what I've set up here today, get this. It's not about you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The best ability is availability. And when you're standing in glory 100 years from now, when we're all there, When you're standing in glory and you're looking over life's finished story, you're thinking, man, that was quick. Look at that. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. Oh, that, I took advantage of that opportunity. Oh, wow, look at the people that are here, the people that are not here. A hundred years from now, when the cold wind is whistling over your tombstone, or the warm sun is setting down upon it. You know what's going to matter on that day? What did you do with Jesus Christ? That's it. What did you do with Jesus? I, I hoarded him to myself. I buried my talents. You don't serve God to gain his acceptance, but because of what Christ did, we serve God because we are accepted. The veil has been torn and you can have access with God himself, the God who created sunsets and surfing and seafood and sex. God is calling you into a relationship with himself. That's, that blows my mind. The God who knows what's in the center of Jupiter is saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. And I'm willing to take you and to call you and to claim you as my own. But you come to me on my terms. No more hiding. No more hypocrisy. No more running. telling you this weekend it's gonna be lit if you allow it to be you allow the word of God to divide between your soul and your spirit you come ready to receive the implanted word you come you will not leave this place the same you will have an encounter with God, who is the great I am. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name.
once again as you continually perform surgery upon us. That no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much we kick and scream, don't allow us to be outside your will. I pray that you would help distractions to be minimal. That as we continually move, as we continually pursue, as we look upward, may we see your eyes that never blink because you don't want to take your eyes off of us. We thank you, God, that this life is not about us. May we learn from the Apostle Paul, who had every excuse readily available, but he recognized that it wasn't about him. And may we learn from Moses, and though he is filled with excuses and refused to go, may we go. May we go until you tell us to stop. May we go until we die. May we cross that finish line exhausted. Because running hand in hand with you in this battlefield, we realize that we get one crack at this thing called life. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. This is a battlefield. So, Father, do what you need to do. Thank you for the work that you've done, and I know that these words are strong. Thank you for the grace found in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I absolutely love discussing theology and uh, apologetics. If you have questions and stuff, don't be shy. Listen, come. You are not an interruption of my day up here. You're not an interruption of my job. You are my job, and I'm excited to meet you. I'm excited to talk with you. I will be with you until you get exhausted. Come with questions. Be careful with the questions that you ask because there's answers. Come talk. Come behold. Come get away from the sheep. Come get alone and be with the shepherd. Have fun with your friends. Hang out with your friends. But oh, get alone. God does not compete with other rival voices. What is your will for my life? Speak up. No, he's too much of a gentleman. You quiet your commotion. You come to him, you draw near to him, and I promise you that the great I am will meet with you because that's what he does best. He meets with people. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for Mark. Thank you. So good. I'm, that's just one session. We got four more to go, and I'm so excited for what God has for us. Um, I invited my pastor, Pastor Rob. Some of you don't know Pastor Rob, he's the senior pastor at Calvary Corvallis, and so he's here just, just for a night, and uh, I invited him up to share for a minute, and so. Yeah, hey, Mark, come back up here, and Susie, come up here, too. Susie's like, she never knows when I'm going to call her up on stage, and you know, uh, some of you were listening to Mark, maybe you got the story, maybe you put the pieces together, maybe you're going, now, wait a minute, what, what did he say? So Susie and Mark went to high school together. So what do you remember about Mark in high school? Well, that's, 
we're old. We're 50 now, so it's kind of, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. What do I, he's funny. He's funny. I don't, I don't, I don't, we were friends when, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Was he a believer? No, Mark was not a believer. So I, I, so I played football and track, and the coach said, if you drink or you're with somebody who's drinking or if you smoke or if you're with somebody who's smoking, I'm going to kick you off the team. So I didn't want to get kicked off the team. It was my desire to want to run in the Olympics, doing the high hurdles. I was a most valuable player for the track team, so I tried to keep my nose clean, but what I really wanted to be was a con man, you know, which is crazy, right? So I got voted most polite when I was in eighth grade, and then everything kind of leveled off from there. So I kind of kept to myself, but I had jock friends is really what it was. And I made a profession of faith when I was in eighth grade, but then when I got into high school, um, I kind of, sports became my God, right? And I just remember Susie going, that's it, right? I mean, it's like, because, I mean, I, I was so kind of enamored with, and I, and I don't know how gung-ho of a Christian, I mean, you really were at that point. Did you make, what was happening to you in high school with the Lord at that time? I'm curious. Uh, um, you know, I, okay, I guess, um, in a nutshell, my testimony, I grew up in a Christian home, and I was just a good kid that really didn't do bad things, but I really wasn't, like, it's funny hearing you talk, like, talk about how I would, like, talk to you about the Lord because I was really, sh like, I did not like to, you know, talk in front of people. I wasn't, like, someone, I wasn't an evangelist. And so, but I remember, you know, I'd invite people, like, hey, you should come to church. And I was involved with my youth group, but that's about it. I wasn't very bold. So did you ever think, I mean, 30 years later, did you ever, could you even imagine that this would be the guy at your high school 30 years later that you were inviting to go to church? No, it's, it's well, and I think if I remember the story, we were up in Oregon um, pastoring, and didn't you call the church and say you're a pastor now? Did you? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't even know that, um, you know, Mark became a Christian, and so what, the neat thing I would just say for all of you guys, too, you never know the people that you invite to church, or, you know, even ask them, you know, talk to them about the Lord, like, you never know, like, he's traveling all over the world, God's using him, and you just never know, so don't be afraid to invite people, or just share the gospel, and I didn't even share the gospel, I just invited him to church. But, but I love that. Like, again, in weakness, and you were weak, and the mess, you would just come to church, but God was using that. And, you know, my, my story is I was in a neighborhood, and uh, I didn't grow up knowing the Lord, uh, didn't know anything about the Lord. Our, our family was a family that maybe had, like, a Bible in the house, and um, I, I don't know, when I was a real small kid, we went to church, but a girl that I uh, liked in our neighborhood her younger sister started inviting me to go to a Bible study. 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, yeah, I'll go. Okay, 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 I'll go this Sunday. And then she showed up at my house on a Sunday. Her parents were in the car in our cul-de-sac, and she said, um, she knocked at the door, and she said, you promise you're going to come tonight? And I was like, yeah, not tonight. I got other plans. And she cried on my doorstep. Like genuinely, like, and she said these words, I know you're supposed to come tonight. And I went, and that night changed my life. That was, a, that was a saving event that night. And you know what was going on in my life is God was drawing me. I remember being at this one party where it, I was miles away from home, and I just, I just said, I'm leaving. I'm just going to walk home and talk to God. And I didn't even know what I was saying. Like God was drawing me, and here this girl was intersecting with me. And I just share all that to say, yeah, you know, guys, God wants to use you more than you realize. And I think you bringing that up about, about Susie. And, you know, just another thought, you know, Mark, is you talk about um, being called to be an apologist and, a, you know, a teacher of theology and train people and, and 50 countries, did you say? Uh, you know, and as you guys are here, uh, you know, I was thinking, listening to you of that, like what Paul said, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. And uh, Mark, an evangelist, uh, an apologist by the will of God. You know, that doesn't mean that's God's will for all of us to be evangelists and apologists that we travel around the world in 50 countries. You know, the highest calling is what? pastor, right? Shake your head no. No. No, the highest calling is apologist, right? Shake your head no. No, the highest calling is what is God calling you to be? You know, my daughter's in medical school right now, and she is Lauren. She's so much like me. She's many, me in a lot of ways. Our personalities are so similar, but you know, the call on her life is to help people as a doctor. I see it. There's this incredible compassion on, in her life to want to care for people medically. And I just think that's so exciting for you guys as you're here these next couple days. What is God calling you to be? Because as you're ignited and on fire and counting for Jesus and, and using your life, that's going to be as engineers, that's going to be as professors, that's going to be as housewives, that's going to be as engineers. Or, or whatever the call on your life is. And, and you know what? There might be a few of you here. There might be someone here that God is calling you to be a pastor. I was in a room newly saved, and I sat in the very, very back corner of a church, and the man was speaking, and the whole time he was speaking, the pastor was speaking, God was calling me. I, I had no idea what was happening. And there may be some type of call in your life for ministry, you might be called to go into the world in some remarkable way, and that this weekend might even be part of that call happening. But um, I just think it's exciting. It's exciting what God's going to do. And I'm, I'm excited that um, you guys are here for a couple days because God is starting something tonight, and it's going to build, and it's going to build, and it's going to build. And I'd like to finish this before Chad goes to announcements. Just ask you guys to close your eyes again. Could you do that? Just, uh, and I just, and Mark, I'd like to have you to have your eyes open, and, and I'll, I'll have my eyes open. I just want to ask a, a couple questions. Um, you know, you might be somebody here, and, um, you know, you, it really what's going on at the heart of what's going on is 
uh, it's you know not certain that you know the Lord yet, that you know Him in a saving way, that uh, you're truly uh, you know saved and following Him, and and there's something powerful starting tonight. If you think that's that's where you are, if you think you're in that place where you know you're not you're not sure that maybe this is even like a fire hose to you, maybe it even scares you, and you're not even sure if you're supposed to stay here this weekend. I just encourage you, if, if you don't know if you're saved, just say a prayer in your heart. If you're scared, tell, tell God that. Go, God, I'm kind of scared, or this is, this is a lot for me to process tonight. Or maybe you're, you know, you'd be someone that you say, God, I, I want to be saved this weekend. Do a work in me. And, and I just encourage you, I don't know how many are here that might be in that place, but pray that, God, I... I want you to work in my life. And, and maybe what Mark said too, I think this first night could be a great prayer as we're starting off where Mark said, um, you know, um, God, I don't really desire you. But I, that's just being honest. Maybe you came here and there's not much of a, of a desire for God, but maybe you could pray that prayer this first night that Mark shared with you. I desire, I desire to be somebody who desires you. And you know what? That could be so powerful for you this first night. Just be really honest with God. Maybe you don't have a great desire or any desire for God. Maybe there's very little appetite for God. Could you pray that tonight? God, I desire. I desire to desire you. And, and why don't you just pray a prayer to tonight? Could just while your your heads are about, if you're somebody that you're praying that prayer in your heart, God, I desire to desire you. Could you just lift up your hand? Just just be neat to just see if who's in that place. Just hold it up. It's just you and the Lord. I'm the only one looking. Mark has his eyes open. Anyone else just saying, God, I desire to desire you? Two, three, four, five. Anyone else? I mean, if that's you, no one else is looking. It's just being honest. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of you. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. That's, there's probably more, but just pray that, God, I desire to desire you. And let's just, let's just pray a prayer. Why don't you pray a prayer this first night? You, you pray it with your breath, but beneath, beneath your breath, in your heart, pray, God, I want all that you want for me. Pray that, God, I want, if, if that's in your heart, I want all that you want for me. And just pray a prayer. I want to sanctify these next couple days. That means I want, to, I want these next couple days to be set apart for you to do what you want to do in my life. Pray that. I want to set these next couple days apart that you can do whatever you want to do in my life. Amen. We'll just finish there. I think that's, that's beautiful. Chad, Chad's got some practical things. I did just want to check. Is that for real? Like those, really, you really got a shirt like that on? <laughs> it's, it's real. I think I feel it. 
you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hand the mic back. Take You're the mic. taking the mic. Hey, uh, I'm just here maybe one night with you guys. Love being here with you guys. Even if it's just for a night, Susie and I came. Uh, it's important that Susie wanted to just, uh, you know, she hadn't seen Mark since high school. So tonight's the first night she's seen him since high school. And we just love being here with you guys. So we're still going to, thank you, yeah. We're still kind of praying if we're going to go tomorrow. I have a wedding Saturday. If we're going to go Saturday, but but we'll we'll be here tonight. We'll be here tomorrow for sure.